Hello and welcome back to Theology Happens. I am your host, Rob Schutz, and this is Theology Happens, where we talk all things theology and how it is applicable to our lives, not just being merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So uh, thanks for tuning in yet again, and it is still October, and that means it's still Reformation Month. Um, again, last episode, I... I sort of talked a little bit about Luther and how we celebrate um, the Reformation beginning with him and, and what he did uh, back um, in the 1500s and, and how we've been um, sort of using October as the, the rem- memory of, uh, of those events as the um, 31st is the day that he did nail his 95 theses to that church on that fateful day. So, Anywho, I wanted to continue talking about that because last time we were um, a little bit more, well, not more theologically. We'll, be, we'll talk theology, obviously. But um, we talked a lot of terms and, and we went over the five solas. And so this time I want to do slightly something a little bit different, um, a l- maybe a little bit more historical. Maybe I'm not going to get too specific, um, speak generally, and, and then some theology tied to it. But nevertheless... Um, I wanted to talk about the reformers themselves. Um, now we we could highlight one or two, um, even really focus on one in an episode and, and really sort of dive into their life. But I, I want to sort of talk about a general theme that's pretty consistent amongst most of the reformers, if not all of them. Um, again, at least the the names that probably most of us are familiar with. Um, and and this is the idea of them being bold. Uh, courageous and defenders of truth. Um, bold, courageous, and 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 um, defenders of truth is sort of what I want to sort of get us to sort of wrestle with and sort of comprehend and and consider what that may or may not mean uh, for us today in the twenty twenty two. Well, it's well almost twenty twenty three if you believe that, uh, as it is October. But anyways. Um, if you don't know much about the reformers, um, aside from maybe like the big names, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, maybe you've heard of that one. Um, there's an awesome book that I just want to highlight real quick. Um, I read it not that long ago, um, but it's really cool. It's called uh, Heralds of the Reformation, 30 Biographies of Sheer Grace. And that's by Richard M. Uh, Hanula, excuse me. And uh, so... It's cool because what he does is he, he goes through 30 different um, reformers and, and talks about their life and what they did. And it's clear, very clear from his research, that these men definitely, and actually there's uh, at least one woman, I'm trying to remember if there's another one, I think just one woman, mentioned it within this group of how they, had, they were bold, they were courageous, and they defended the truth. See, because... What we may or may not know about that history, again, I, I don't know your historical knowledge, but in the 1500s, the Catholic Church ruled Christendom in the West. It was just, if th- I mean, there was very little other option. Yes, obviously, we know that there were some of these uh, pre-reformers or early uh, guys who were trying to get back to a biblical precedent, uh, but um, the reality of the matter is mainstream Christianity was Catholicism. 
and that was a problem because they were teaching things counter to what scripture taught um, and that they they had distorted the gospel they did not have a, a correct gospel and so that's where the pr- uh, the protestants came is they wanted to restore that again we talked about that with the solas but the reality is is the church the catholic church at the time was not just a religious institution in fact it was a very powerful entity within civilization and society of the medieval and rena- or, you know post you know, the late renaissance excuse me late medieval and, and early renaissance period where we're talking reformation begins and that's because the church had gained a lot of power throughout the middle ages uh, popes had had sort of become uh, this this main source of authority throughout Europe, and so uh, kings often looked for the blessings of popes, and popes often looked to align with kings, and and so it was a very um, very political um, world that the Catholic Church ruled in. Um, obviously, in today's day, especially in America, I mean, sure we we know uh, the Catholic Church has some of its ties, but I mean, frankly. As far as American politics go, uh, they're barely really considered. Um, but that's not the world that the medieval um, or the, the reformational person understood. Um, in, in fact, um, most of the people, um, if not all of the 30 that um, is mentioned in the book, uh, Heralds of the Reformation, uh, all died as martyrs or maybe not. I can't remember every detail, but uh, if they weren't, martyred they were persecuted they were hunted they were chased down i mean this is even true of luther um, actually i think he's mentioned in the book like i said i read it a few months ago so i don't remember all the details of everybody who gets in there but the point is this um the reformers were hated by the catholic church um they were hunted um literally wars were fought between protestants and catholics um Many Protestants were killed uh, by the Catholic Church, um, and this is the beginnings of the Reformation. It is bloody, it is violent, it is nasty, and it is terrifying for the Reformer and for everything that uh, they stood for. And so it's amazing to me to think about that reality in today's the climate because you just sort of look around and and you just wonder if things were to change would we be that bold would we have that much courage uh would we be willing to defend truth to that level now it's important to to consider because truth truth for the christian is not debatable uh, truth for the Christian is absolute, right? Um, the Christian faith doesn't teach a subjective truth. Truth exists as, as in an absolute state. For you know, for example, I mean, the simplest of things like gravity. We understand that gravity exists. That's observable, right? Scientific method. Yada yada. We can see that there is gravity. You know, basic mathematics, or you know, even, even complex mathematics, we can see that these are absolute truths. That if you have one of something and, and add it two more to it, you're going to come up with three every time. One plus two is three. There's just no way around it. That is an absolute reality, and that's true in America. That's true in Zimbabwe. That's true in you know Japan. Wherever you want to go, that's true because again, truth is absolute. 
So you take that notion, you take that idea, and then you start to go, okay, well, what else is true? And we start then break down the reality of the, the Christian message, right? For example, Romans, see, I shouldn't have pulled this one. I should have pulled this one. I didn't, but I forgot. I forgot one. So bear with me just because I don't want to screw it up. I want to quote it correctly. But Romans 1, chapter, excuse me, Romans 1, verse 16 says this, For I am ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for uh, in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, that's true everywhere. That is true everywhere. Because he even mentions first for the Jew and then for uh, the Gentile. So that's everyone. This is not a relative claim. Well, it's true for you. It's true for you. It's not true for me. No, that is not the Christian message. We believe that Christ, right? John 14, 6. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. There's no way around this. This is the reality of the matter. This is the situation that all people find themselves. They are either in Adam, the fallen Adam, right? The first Adam, dead to their sins and trespasses, as Ephesians would teach, or they're made alive in Christ. That's it. All right, I have a, I have a whole episode talking about this, the two ultimate realities for every human being. You're either in Christ or you're in sin. There's no way around it. Scripture is very clear on this teaching. And so this is what we believe as Christians. So we, we have to start with that premise and we go, okay, cool. All right, so we know this. This, this is Bible 101. I don't, I don't think there's any Christian probably listening to this today going, oh, wow, I've never heard of this. Uh, well, maybe, th maybe they're out there. I, I doubt it if you're listening to this. I, I'm, I'm skeptical of that. But nevertheless, I don't know my, everybody in my audience. Um, but the the thing is, is, is this is this is true. This is what we hold to. And so, if it is what we hold to, then are we consistent with this message everywhere? Right. We're talking about the reformers. They started going through the scripture, right? When we talked about the solas, uh, you know, sola scriptura. They went, okay, yeah, it's only about scripture. Sola. Christus. It's only in Christ that we have salvation. Uh, gratia, fide, by grace and faith alone. And it's only through the uh, glory of God alone, right? The final sola, sola deo gloria, right? So we look at those and they go, okay, this is in scripture. We must argue this. This is true. So then the, they started preaching this message. They started proclaiming these messages. They started teaching and going back and countering what the Catholic Church had taught and said, hey, you have it wrong here. Let us show you in Scripture. Let us reform this. And so it's, it's amazing uh, when we look in history because uh, Luther debates um, Catholic teaching on this, right, and the, the Leipzig debates. Um, others get opportunities to do similar things to sort of uh, debate and bring about their positions. doesn't end well for some. Uh, some of them end up dead as a result. But they're willing to do that because they go, this is true. We need to make sure that this message is heard and proclaimed.
And so they fight for truth. I mean, think about this psalm. This is Psalm 25. There's some cool stuff in the beginning, but I just want to read just verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. I mean, that that's a convincing point. He's the God of my salvation. He's the God who saved me, who's turned me from enemy to child. Right? In my unsaved state, I was an enemy of God deserving of wrath. But because of Christ and his work, I now can be adopted into the family of God. You cannot come up with a crazier turn of events. And so if he's the God of my salvation, I want to be led in who he is and what he's about. And I want to know all of these things. And I want to then go, okay, cool. God, help me to teach this and show this to others and give me the boldness to preach it to others. You see, the performers knew that they would likely be hunted and potentially die. They knew this. This did not stop them. They continued and pressed on even though they knew that they were going to potentially die. Now I can only imagine they um, did this because, like I said, these were men who studied the word of God. And so if they were men who studied the word of God, they would have come across passages like Galatians 1.10 that says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul here in Galatians is making this appeal. I don't care what people have to say. Bring it. Make any accusation you want. My job is not to please them. I mean, imagine what Paul could have done early at some point in his ministry after his conversion, after he had gained the respect and the uh, admiration by many. He could have toned it down. He could have been like, well, okay, cool. I've been saved. I got all these people liking me, following me. He could have radically gone AWOL and led people astray and made lived a very comfortable life probably but no he did not opt to do that instead he was hunted <laughs> chased uh and and attempted to be killed more than once in fact stoned one time and left for dead because that's how bad it was this is a crazy person when you look at it from the outside going, wow, why would somebody be willing to do go through all of this? We know it's because the gospel has the power to save. And that is far greater than anything one could ever obtain anywhere else. And so anyways, again, he continued on. Right In Philippians, Paul writes this for, uh, this is chapter 1, verses 21. 
for to me is, excuse me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in life, I will be committed pursuing Christ. If I die, it is a great, glorious gain because I'll be with the Lord. And then he even spends the next few verses sort of arguing that out, how he sort of longs to be uh, with Christ and out of the sinfulness and the grossness of the world. But he also knows that God's going to, you know, if God leaves him around, God will use him for God's glory. And he's like, okay, so that's fine too. (laughs) Now imagine, again, this is a guy who had rose in popularity. He could have, again, calmed it down. But instead, no, he goes, no, I know what is right. I know what I need to do. And he commits himself fully to that. Now, just in case you do not think that this is sufficient, prior to the conversion of Paul, other disciples, namely Peter, is among them. They are preaching the gospel in Judea shortly after um, the uh, ascension of Christ and, and, and their first initial preaching and all that. And so early the book of Acts makes it very clear that they are not winning friends with the religious leaders either. The Jews despise their message. And so uh, they get arrested for blaspheme and, and not speaking truth and all this stuff. And so... Um, it's it's there's some fun moments in there but again they're arrested <clears throat> they get out they go right back to preaching the gospel uh and then <laughs> and then in, in verse excuse me chapter 5 of, in verse 27 it says and when they had brought them they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying we strictly charged you not to teach in his name Jesus' name right Saying here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So again, they're mad because they keep talking about how the religious leaders were responsible for the death of Jesus, and they like want to be rid of this whole thing. And so they're quite upset with it. But then in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. So here's our biblical precedent, our biblical example. Preach the gospel no matter what. The apostles did it. Um, Jesus did it, right? There's going to be a cost. It is going to be a cost. It may cost you your life. But that is the, sorry, but that is the call. That is what is being asked. And so when we look back in history, we see our reformed, excuse me, our reformers, um, doing this. Sorry, I'm looking something up. What the heck? Sorry. And so, the reality of the matter is, is when we look back in history, we see that, there it is. 
There's the passage I wanted. Okay. Sorry. Please bear with me. Okay. So when you look back in history, we see the reformers making this choice. Going, okay, we've looked through the scriptures. We see what Rome is saying is wrong. Rome, right? Roman Catholic Church. What they're teaching is wrong. So we will stand up for it. In fact, um, they will... They will constantly call the church to repent. They will constantly go back to the other Catholic people and go, listen, you need to repent for what you're teaching is wrong. You need to come back and get back to these basics. We need to come back here because this is true faith. This is the true gospel. This is what we need to know because this is what actually is eternal life. Repent, Catholic Church. Repent is what they're saying. Repent. Come back. Join us. Be right with God. And here's the word that the Catholic Church throws back in their face. Recant. Deny what you now teach. Give it up. And they said no. And many lost their lives as a result of this because they understood what was truly valuable. So that some, let's see, that was in the 1500, 600, right? Oh, excuse me, 500 plus years later, we could be still talking about it. I, I have no idea what they envisioned. I'm not them, but I can guarantee you that when they were probably looking out up among the culture that they saw, it probably looked hopeless. They probably looked at some of the countries that had become very entrenched in Catholicism and where it gripped with an iron fist. Spain, France, right? Just dominant countries that controlled much of commerce and political and social normative things in Europe. They probably looked and went, wow, there's not very much hope. But that didn't stop them. They went on. They said, okay, it's okay. That's fine. It's going to happen. Because they knew that they were doing what was right, and that was far greater than that power. And so maybe they had some optimism going, okay, maybe in the future things will get better. But I don't know, could they have ever foreseen where we're at right now in the year 2022, where we have Protestants on every continent? Well, except for Antarctica, because no one's really living there. But there's Protestant churches established all over the world preaching and teaching the true gospel. The gospel that actually saves. Not a, not a false gospel that's added works. A true gospel. And where thousands have come to faith. Right? Could they have ever imagined that their gospel message would travel 
not their gospel message, but that the gospel message would travel across the Atlantic, take root in what would become 13 British colonies that then would somehow become the United States of America where then others would be reached with the gospel. Could they have ever foreseen that? I don't know. But here's the thick thing. They probably didn't even care. I mean, sure, they wanted to see the gospel spread. Absolutely, I have no doubt about that. But they were more concerned about honoring God. That was their biggest thing. They said, we must obey God, just like our biblical examples of the apostles and Christ himself. And other, I mean, men really, I mean, we can even go in the Old Testament and find men who were sold out for the true God. I mean, read Daniel. <laughs> uh, and all, the, especially early on, and there's so much amazing stuff of, of people going, no, nah, we're going to not bow down to these pagan um, leaders. We're going to instead honor God in everything we do. So here's the deal. <coughs> we have a message that is true. Right? That's what we believe. We have a message that is true, just like the message, identical to the message, because it's the same message that the reformers taught. That they were willing to die for to make sure that people knew. They were bold, they were courageous, and they were men of truth. I can't help but think of Matthew 10. When we consider this is the passage I was looking up earlier, making sure I had it right. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. Chapter 10, verse 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of, their, of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is what happens. When you truly know Christ, you become an enemy of those who are against Christ. And like I've mentioned, you're either with him or you're against him. There's no middle ground. And I won't lie to you. This is a hard passage to swallow. But here it is. What are we going to do with something like this? Are we willing to say that literally nothing else matters except for Christ? Is he that supreme ultimate in our life where if hardship or difficulty with uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable family encounters, whatever the case may be, will arise because those people know that I stand with Christ above all else will come? 
or or are we cowardice and not willing to get into that and I have to be perfectly honest I don't know if I've lived up to this standard at least not all the time I'm sure there's been glimmers of this but I think far often I don't know if I actually am always willing to make that uncomfortable step of forsaking everything. I talk about it a lot. I want to be about this. And so maybe I'm preaching on this because maybe it'll finally push me over the top to do this more consistently. To stand up for what's right at all times. To preach the truth all the time. To not always just look for the perfect opportunity, but to preach in every opportunity. So I get it. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. But if we do believe what we say we believe, right? Romans 1, where we started, that this is the... Um, message of salvation for all who believe then gosh darn it I think we should probably preach that proclaim it present it and go you're a sinner needing grace what are you going to do with it obviously we can't sway people we can't make them believe that's up to God but we can preach the gospel not only can we, I think we must. So, those of you listening, if I haven't lost you at this point, be praying for me and for one another, for the rest of the viewers out there who are wrestling with us going, you know what? I need to do this better too. May this be that word of encouragement for us to be willing to be hated to be hunted, to be chased for our faith. Not because we have some sort of uh, sick call to be tortured, but because we're willing to take that step because we understand that Christ is worth it, that our salvation is worth it, that there's no greater thing that I own or that I could ever possibly possess than to be called a child of God because of the redemptive work of Christ. So, hopefully that rattles some cages. Rattled mine, that's for sure. So, um, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate uh, spending the time to, to dive into this. And like I said, let's be praying for one another. Uh, to um, have bold, courageous, and uh, people dedicated to the truth continuing to proclaim the gospel message everywhere we go. So again, thank you. God bless. And until next time.